It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Countercultural today. Really appreciate every one of you who takes the time out of their busy lives to tune in. We are a show about being different. Jesus calls us to live a life that's very different than what the world calls us to. He calls us to be peacemakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. He called us to be not like the world. And so if you want to be different and follow Jesus, you're actually going to be pretty radical and you're going to be counterculture. And that's really what we're about. We want to find the people who are in our, in, here in Phoenix and here and even around the world who are stepping out and being different and helping us to be peacemakers and bringing us together. So in, in a divided world, peacemaking is a rebellious act, and we want to meet those people. So today we have in studio Danae Pierre. Hello, Danae. Hi, great to be with you. So glad you could join us. It's really cool. Danae is the executive director of the Surge Network. Surge Network is a movement of local churches partnering together to put Jesus on display in Arizona. She's a graduate of Covenant Theological Seminary and serves as one of the co-directors for City to City North America. And Danae's married to Vermone, the lead pastor at Roosevelt Community Church. And they have four children, Marcel, Maya, Judah, and Giovanna. Good job. Did I nail that? You got it. <laughs> okay. So for what it's worth, I knew Vermone before Danae. So when he was just a a single pastoral with a lot of swagger, (laughs) starting a church in downtown Phoenix. Right. That's right. (laughs) But 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 Danae is a big deal. And I just really appreciate her taking the time to come in uh, and 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 touch base and we can find out what what's what's going on in our city, what's going on in our world and maybe uh, talk through what, what, what maybe things we could do to make a difference. So. So it's a crazy time. Right? It is. It's a crazy time. So before we get crazy, mm-hmm. uh, we have to like just uh, – we have this little game we play. Okay. Okay? The game is called Fake News. And so <laughs> you need to say something that's true about you and something that's not true about you. And I try to guess which one is fake news. All right. True about me. Um, I was once on America's Most Wanted. America's Most Wanted. America's Most Wanted. Okay. Um, true about – so say it'll tell you two truths and you guess which one's fake? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the true about me is um, I am a year away from my doctorate. A year away from your doctorate. So I'm going to say you were on – I don't. It, it's such a crazy story that it seems so – like you wouldn't just make it up. Mm-hmm. Like there's, so I think you were on America's Most Wanted. Yes. I you was. were? I was. I was like a six-year-old, act, like in one of those reenactments, you know? <laughs> okay. So yeah, I, I don't know what – why you would put your kid in a reenactment of America's Most Wanted, but you know it felt it was fun at the time. I got cookies and yeah, got to like you know be around actors with guns or yelling yeah, right? and things like that. <laughs> that would have been exciting. Wow, that's a pretty cool. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. So I have like about a I'm about a seventy percent success rate. So I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah. That I'm guessing. So I'm now I have the swagger. Yeah. There you go. So, but no, that's really cool. Um, it's funny how we have these like weird chapters in our lives that people don't know about. <laughs> Okay, back to craziness. Our world is going crazy, it seems like that. It seems like every day it's hard to turn on the news. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sometimes even know what to pray for. Right. 
it's hard to think about it when there's so much shouting. Yeah. And we are, and so, are we hurting? Are we hurting as a people? Are we hurting? Are we? Are we? Are we healing? Tell what's what's happening. Can you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting that. This, I mean, this whole year has just started with tw- all these, you know, inspirational statements around 2020 being, mm-hmm. the, you know, the year of vision. Uh, yes, right? that's right. Yep. Um, and, God's going to bless you. Right. He's going to roll out his blessings. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty quickly, we just began to see one tragedy after the other. So right. first with COVID um, and all the impact there, um, seeing it nationally, locally, the economic impact, loss of jobs. And then in this last month, all the um, tension around race and people, pr- you know, all, from all sides people who are protesting and counter-protesting and all the dialogue happening back and forth, the lack of dialogue right. all around. So, yeah, I think I think we are in a season of pain and people mm-hmm. are tired and exhausted and unsure. Um, and I think that this summer would be painful and hard without the realities of COVID related to um, the ongoing story of racial injustice right. and pain. Um, and then you add the two together and it seems like it's both been a time of real, like you said, division, brokenness, but also there's something different happening this time in terms mm. of so many um, people who have been distant from the conversation or apathetic seem very awakened right now right. to at least be curious and try to understand what's what's going on. What have I not seen before? So I've been so where there is pain, um, there's a lot of beautiful things happening and emerging as well. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's a hard and I think I think we're at the beginning of it. I don't think we're near near to the point of what we're going to see in the months and year and year ahead. Just months or years. So you're having a longer vision of this. This isn't yeah. like, let's just get to one conclusion, one law change yeah. or one event that's going to yeah. say something that's going to fix all this. Yeah, I think we've had this growing division. Well, I mean, it's we we this is not a new part of the American story. We've had this brokenness and division between so you know, for us within the church between the, the white evangelical church and our African American brothers mm-hmm. and sisters. That's just been historic. Now, I think particularly for our generation the last 4 or 5 years, we've continued to see the gap and the separation and the distance and the relational harm and and lack of ability to arrive at a sense of unity. Um, and so I think this has been growing mm-hmm. and, um, and a lot of the work we're seeing happen, the good things we're seeing happen in our city in terms of or- community organizing and working on grassroots change has also been organizing the last four or five years. So just while the, while the pain has been growing, so have the, the laborers to begin building bridges and work towards mm. repair. Now we're only at the beginning of this emerging season and I think we're going to see both continued pain for a while, um, as well as continued work. Mm. I think for the rest of our of our lives that we're going to be in this work for this new season of right. of addressing harm and seeking restoration. So, before we ask the question, like what's happening right now in Phoenix, right. I want to say why why are you in this yeah, space? Yeah, great question. So my husband and I minister at a multi-ethnic church in downtown Phoenix. He's African-American. I grew up in a cross-cultural home. So my mom immigrated from Honduras. My dad's family comes from Rhode Island. And they were there since the Mayflower till they moved here in the 90s or the 70s, I guess, 80s, (laughs) 80s. Um, And so I grew up in Phoenix very aware of our racial story. So it wasn't uncommon to hear comments about immigrants and Mexicans and um, that that part of the Phoenix culture where we can be very disparaging of immigrants. Um, I grew up seeing it and seeing it in 
both worlds, right? Um, being able to see it within, um, you know, almost go like being within church context mm. and people, sweet people saying things out of ignorance um, or judgments that they didn't even realize where it was coming from. But I also would go home to my grandma and my grandpa who are, you know, well, my grandma broke in English and my um, grandpa, he speaks to English very well. But, you know, just to kind of be raised in that, in that cross culture, I think gave me eyes to see it. Um, and then I think, you know, we have we have four kids, two are biracial, two we adopted, they're African-American. Mm-hmm. And so we've had this story of seeking our, to help our church be one that engages on reconciliation. Um, but also we've experienced all the challenges and pain related to that, right? Whether it's um, relational brokenness that we have to press into, uh, misunderstandings, mm. um, understanding that we really do need and want our communities to be safer, healthier, whole places for our African-American and Hispanic children. Like right. that's an important thing. Um, but, but what is that? But when you, but in the, in the noise of what's happening nationally, those little statements can get so misunderstood. And so how do you really do the work to press in so we can be involved in change? Mm. So if you're, a lot of times think we, we say we're progressing, we're becoming less racist as yeah. a culture. Mm-hmm. And we have a, we had a black president. Yeah. And so yet, has that been the story from your experience with your family? You feel like – or is racism one of those things that's just constantly prevalent? Or in our, you're aware of it all the time in, in yeah. society. Yeah, I think um, – well, I think there's two things. I think historically when you really sit in American history, particularly American church history, you read the critiques being made right now. And it was the same critiques pastors and church leaders were making – white pastors and church leaders were making in the South – um, during King's movement and during Jim Crow laws and during the end of slavery and during the Civil War and during the founding of our country. So actually the the arguments and the the concerns and the framework is very consistent. Very, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that things are a lot more subtle now. So, um, you know, where I think when you are, when you are a family that, that lives, you know, that has that, that's African-American, Hispanic, whatever, you you pick up on things. People people will tell you things and process their opinions on race with you in a way that they wouldn't with their other friends. So right. yeah, you hear all kinds of things. I mean, we had the N word written across our door last year Ugh. in a middle class, you know, in Willow neighborhood. Oh my goodness! Um, in downtown Phoenix. So it's like it's it's like there's there's that we have those those things that happen that mm-hmm. are overt, right? Um, but we have a lot of subtle things. So I think it is. You know, I tell our parents a lot of times: mm. talk to your your youth, your students in high school. And really ask them very direct questions around how they talk around different ethnic people um, and whether it's African-American or immigrants. Like our, our, our teenagers are very, very much quick to use um, racial, derogatory racial right. to talk about each other. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's always been a challenge. Um, at the same time, I think like anything, our family has a lot of privilege. We have a lot of things that we've been blessed with. And so I don't think we, um, there are things that we don't experience because we're not living in poverty. Right. And I think that's why we care so much about doing this bridge building mm. work because we really want to see reconciliation and wholeness mm. in our whole city. What's encouraging you now? You, you, I think you had something to do with the, the march of pastors mm-hmm. that uh, was it just not too long ago, several yeah. weeks back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we did a we did a, a prayer day at the Capitol, and we had I think maybe twelve hundred, fifteen hundred church mm. members from over a hundred different churches that showed up, yeah. um, and we asked them to show up with signs confe- with of confession, confessing 
uh, you know, I confess, I lament, um, because it wasn't just, we didn't want people just to show up and say, I hate racism. Like, hopefully, almost everyone can say that, right? right. It's, we're in a season where we, we need our brothers and sisters who've not had to ever think about it or or live within a reality that others have to actually think about their own, what can they do to become more educated, to begin to engage in um, change in small ways, whether it's through their vocation or through city, you know, uh, policies in our city, what does that look like? And so we had, so that was really beautiful to see sign after sign after sign Mm. of, I confess my silence. I confess not listening five years ago. I confess um, being so late to arrive at this conversation. And um, that, that was really powerful. Mm. And then I think what was encouraging after that was the reality is our African-American, Hispanic, multi-ethnic churches have been engaged in this for I mean, we've been a church for 15 years. It's been a 15-year conversation, at least, for us. Uh, Pastor Warren Stewart Sr., I think, has been doing this for 40 years. Right. Um, So this is not a new thing happening in our city. It's new to have so many white evangelicals say, hey, I want to be, I want to kind of see what's happening and how can we get involved. Mm. So that's what's been really encouraging following is we then invited people to come out to all the nights of protest. And we said, hey, meet at Roosevelt. Vermont and I did some training with them. And then they would come and we would go on these marches. We say, hey, pray and join the march. And then we would debrief after. And to say, how are we going to, as um, bridge builders and peacemakers, represent Jesus from our couch watching about the protest through the news? Right. Let's go. Whether you agree with everything being said or not, come be present, be prayerful, and be curious. And then let's go educate and understand what people are saying, why they're saying it, where this is coming from, Mm. and how do we engage in the work of reconciliation. So that's been, we've had several hundred people um, over the maybe 14 days post that who engaged. And it's been beautiful to hear people's stories. Um, Yeah. So I'd say the thing I'm most encouraged by is just the long-term leadership of the African-American Christian Clergy Coalition, um, all the work they've done to build partnerships cross-denominationally. That's that's a local organization? Yeah, it's a local network of uh, African-American churches um, in Phoenix. Yeah. So that didn't just happen. That event didn't just happen. That was the result of lots of background and relationship and work over the a decade yeah. more, yeah. more. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that. Yeah, that would the the event that we the prayer event that we did was a lot of different churches, evangelical churches in the valley. Um, and I think so much of what we're trying to do is follow the lead of the African American mm-hmm. Christian Clergy Coalition and the work that those pastors have been doing. First Institutional Baptist, Pilgrim Rest, Tanner Chapel, yeah, the three um, big Aubrey ones. Barnwell, yeah. um, yep. on seven, like like just being able to follow their lead, and um, yeah, I mean, there's so, I mean, there's so many, probably twenty, thirty pastors who've just been faithful in this for a very long time, mm. and so we we then get to benefit from their years of work and just say, how do we follow? What, what do you need from us? How do right. we serve? If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn, and we have in studio today Danae Pierre, Executive Director of the Surge Network and uh, uh, an important voice in the racial reconciliation that's happening among churches here in Phoenix. And I really thank you again, for Danae, for joining me here. Um, so tell me about the Surge Network. Yeah. Yeah, so it started 11 years ago, um, five or six pastors who wanted just to get together and listen to, at that time, Tom Schrader, who was uh-huh. the pastor of East Valley Bible, um, and just kind of hear him and some other older pastors kind of share their heart leadership. Um, it quickly grew into, like, hey, let's do some leadership development together. Um, about six or seven years ago, it was enough churches where they wanted to hire someone full-time, so 
our church was one of the churches that were involved early on. I um, came on full time as executive director. Mm. And it really is just now, it's just this beautiful network. It's all these different denominations, all these different, um, you know, pastors and church leaders all over our city, um, different focuses, you know, socioeconomically, ethnically. Uh, it's really cross-denominational, cross-cultural. Um, and then our, and our heart is we, say, we keep saying we believe that we want that for Jesus to be displayed in our city, we want the church to be unified. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean surge unifies the city, right? And right. the church is much bigger than the churches sure. in, within surge. But we particularly feel called to help the church and the people of God engage in reconciliation. Um, we do a lot of equipping related to living out of the gospel story and what does that look like and what does that mean. And then um, we say we use the phrase activating uh, God's people. So how do we activate church members in you know, in places all over the city to mm-hmm. represent Jesus where they work, where they live, where they go to school and all of that. This isn't just talking about just like sharing a gospel message. Right. You're talking about a much broader sense yeah, of like what's activating. A, right. Yeah. How do you look at your kid's public school and say, oh, as a Christian, I want to be on that school board and help the school be as healthy as possible and mm-hmm. flourish and things like that. How do we, how do we follow Jesus in every area of our life um, all throughout our day? Fantastic. And so uh, having attended on and off for about nine years, I've loved the Surge Network and love what it's, it's about. Very diverse. It's growing uh, an important voice here. What other relationships do you have with other networks? Or is that is it is it kind of an insular group? Or Yeah, I mean, there that I mean, there's a lot of different networks and denominations represented there yeah. um, across, from kind of national networks. I do a lot of work with um, yeah, nationally with City to City uh, out of New York, Explain which, what is, that is. which is a church planting, church planting? It's a church planting okay. organization. Um, Tim Keller started it, and okay. they do like in kind of global cities throughout the world. Um, Made to Flourish, which is like a faith and work. We do work that we do work with them, but yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it really is kind of saying how how do we whether you're yeah be be an Anglican, be a Presbyterian, be a Pentecostal, but how do we come together around the gospel and mission? And witness in our city and think witness in terms of like a light city on a hill, a light on a hill. How do we display the love of Jesus everywhere we go mm. in, all throughout Phoenix, all throughout the valley? Absolutely. What are, I'm so excited about what, what, what you're about, what that's, what that's done. So let's just – I'm going to ask a hard question now. Mm-hmm. So many like people feel that they're just being judged all the time as being racist. Mm. Yeah. And so and and so they're just like I'm I'm either they say they're not or yeah. I've said I'm sorry or I don't even everything I do whether this silent or speak up. Yeah. It's wrong. It's was wrong. Yeah, it's, and so tell how how sh- what do you say to so that? Good. Because that yeah. that seems to be a common I hear from different people. Yeah, I do think there's um a couple challenges that are that are really significant. One is we are in a hypersensitive culture where you can say something just a little bit wrong and you're going to be demonized for it, right? Right. Or you can say something a lot of it wrong and have huge consequences. And in addition, you know, so so that just creates a culture of sensitivity and fear, and it doesn't necessarily allow us to do the work of restoration and reconciliation possible. So mm-hmm. a few, you know, when, when someone in our church calls my husband and says, hey, you know, when a white member of our church calls my husband and says, hey, I I have something to ask you and I'm really embarrassed, and they almost, almost always they start crying. I we always say it's such a gift 
because we have a, so much relationship. It's like we can handle mm. whatever because we've been in, in community for so long. Right. No matter what you say, even if it is flat out racist, which it rarely, sure. it rarely is right. if they're at our church. It's like it's a, it's a place of relational health. It's family. So you can walk through these things together like you would with your own children. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much shame and guilt around this topic. A lot of it we've inherited because of the story of our nation. Um, and it's hard for us to understand how can we be guilty for something that that we didn't personally do ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yet... And yet, so I, we don't have time for me to unpack the answer to that the, question. The however, and, however, yeah, I'd yeah. love to another another day. But right. what I would say is, you know, for those of us who believe in Jesus, we aren't trying to justify ourselves or prove ourselves not guilty. We know we're guilty. Right. Like we are broken, sinful people. We're also image bearers that God loves. And so when he brings our guilt or he brings things that have happened into the light of day, it's not to shame us. It's not to scold us like a father with his finger saying, hey, right. you better confess because I know what you've done. And the punishment is coming one way or the other. It's this. It's the light of God's love saying, bring, like, let's put this in the light so can it be exposed by my love. And we can then walk this journey of restoration, repair, healing. Um, if all you're trying to do is say, oh, what's the thing I need to say to not be guilty? What's the right words? Or I'm sick of being accused of stuff, so I'm going to say forget it, right? right, um, right. All, none of that, all of that is, is, is around legal standing and not relational reconciliation. Mm. Legally, if you, when you believe in Christ, you are made one with God and his righteousness covers us. So we, we can be honest about our guilty dirty, filthy hands, the things we do and say that we're ashamed of Mm. because we are covered by Christ and we can receive that as grace and mercy. That then allows us to move out of the legal conversation into the relational conversation and say we are also relationally reconciled to God, made one in him. Mm. And so we can now engage in a process of vulnerability where we can spend the rest of our life learning how to cross cultures and barriers and listen and learn to people we're very different from just to histories we never knew um not so we could like figure out the thing to do to fix it but so we can be part of this unfolding story of god reconciling a people to to each other and himself i don't know if that answers your question but i think it does i think practically that's exactly that's my next question (laughs) you're you're right ahead with me practically there's great things to read. We've been posting um, several of the minority-led churches, so African-American, Hispanic-led churches within the Surge Network, started something called Arizona Churches Stand Together. Arizona Churches Stand Together for Black Lives. So if okay. you find that, you'll just see about it's about eight to ten churches that we're all very connected to, Bible-believing, you know, churches. Sure. Um, and there's different resources on there. There's books you can start reading. Uh, Be the Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison is a great curricul- curriculum to use. It's a curriculum, okay. Curriculum, and it kind of goes through the hist- you know a couple hundred years of history. How do you engage in these conversations? So you can educate yourself. I think if you've been educating yourself, um, this is not a season to then shame everyone who hasn't been educated, but to begin to say, okay, what can we begin to do with whatever God has given us to steward, whatever vocational power money, resources, how do we begin to invest in repairing um, ways in which our community has been harmed? Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's there's examples on that as well. Mm-hmm. Surge Network, our, our, our website and blog has links as well to all of that. So yeah, I'd say there's education, there's relationship and beginning to and beginning to seek out 
meals with people who are different than you and build long-term friendship. Tell me what that looks like. Just, I, I just, I, I, that's one of my favorite things of all time is like eating together with people. Yeah. And so tell me what that means. Yeah, I think people can go to a, they can, we can start, people can visit and attend and even become members of African-American churches. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds, all over the hundreds, all over the city. Yeah. We can, um, or Hispanic churches or bilingual churches. We can put ourselves in situations to become friends with people different than us. And so then you have meals and you begin talking and you listen yes. and you share stories. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have an easy avenue to that, if you're, if you are a woman in the city, Amplify Peace, um, at a cent- uh, Lisa Jernigan leads yeah. that. Mm-hmm. They, they create storytelling and meal environments. Um, Surge has a couple environments we do uh, with refugees and immigrants. So there's ways that they call it where you can formally engage in a meal with someone different than you. So you can do it formally. You can do it organically. But That's- it is really beginning a process of saying, I want to sit and learn and listen to people different than me. Sitting and eating, having open and honest conversation uh, with people who are different. That sounds an awful lot like Jesus. That's putting Jesus on display right there. Danae, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time out of it. You've got a lot on your plate, I know, and I really appreciate your voice in the conversation. And uh, thank you again. This is uh, You've been listening to Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn, Finding the Peacemakers, and we've just had a great conversation with Danae. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org.